data, these two. Okay, who's going to start? Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, dear Sarah and Evan. Happy birthday to you. Have a good one. I would encourage all of you to continue to be in, in very great and fervent prayer uh, in regard to the circumstances that, uh, that are abounding around us. Uh, Lord, we can all understand the real and legitimate place for peaceful demonstrations and that sort of thing that we know that, uh, that sin is in the middle of some of this and it's eroded into something that it wasn't intended to be to start with. And, uh, and all of that, and there's a real threat in our land in a way that we haven't seen in a very long time. So I just want to encourage all of you to be in prayer, because we know that God is the answer to all of it. Uh, reality is this, is we know that we're going through what we're going through right now, because there are a lot of people out there who do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If they did, this kind of thing would not happen. Uh, so would you pray with me this morning? Father, we come again just rejoicing in you and your greatness and your goodness. Uh, and Lord, we know that you really have looked after us in the midst of all of this, and we're thankful for that. But Lord, we know that, uh, that there's a world out there that does not know you. There's a world out there that in truth hates you. Uh, there's a world out there that is not concerned at all about what you would have us do at any time, any moment. Uh, and Lord, we know that sometimes it seems as though that world is having its way with, uh, with our world. Uh, but we know ultimately, Lord, that you are the victor, that, uh, that one of these days this sort of thing will completely vanish from our lives. Uh, when we make it, Father, to the uh, renewed heavens and earth, where Jesus indeed will reign for all of eternity, and we will be there with him, and we will know him, and we will serve him, and we will be with one another, and, uh, and the love that we have for him and for each other will be far greater than we can even possibly imagine at this point. But Father, remind us daily that you have left us in the world for a time, and this is not a time for us to be inactive. It's not a time for us to just sit around and wait for Jesus to come or for our time to come and for us to pass into uh, the heavenly places. Uh, we know, Lord, this is a time for action on the part of your church. And we know that there are many mechanisms by which that can take place, but certainly, Lord, one of those is prayer. And I just pray this morning that all of us would be in fervent prayer continually, unceasingly for the well-being of our land, for the, the end of this COVID business, uh, and Lord, that, uh, that your church would once again be able to join together in, in unity, uh, in person, Lord, as well as in spirit. And we pray that uh, the joy and, and, and peace and things uh, such as these that come from you would uh, once, one time, once again become the hallmark of what it means to be an American. Uh, and we know, Lord, that America is indeed great. It's the greatest nation that has ever existed on this planet. And we know, Father, that's true for one reason, 
because you made it. You have made it what it is because you have been so much of the heart and soul of the founding fathers or in the generations before us. And even in our day, Lord, your people are here and your people are, are making their voices heard. And your people are making a difference. And Father, we understand this, that at times like this of great stress, that we should stand out like sore thumbs, not being like everyone else, not going along with the crowd, but Lord, standing firm in our faith in Jesus Christ, making a difference, being light in the world, Lord, at the same time being salt in the world for you. We pray, Father, for the time now before us of the preaching and the hearing of your word. And, Lord, pray that you would come and you would teach us. We know, Father, that it's by your spirit that we learn. Uh, and we pray, Father, that that would happen this morning, that you would speak to our minds and you would speak to our hearts and you would impress upon us the importance of the things that we are considering here, knowing, Lord, that they indeed are your very word and that we would love it, and that we would feed upon it, uh, and that we would be changed by it. We know, Lord, that it's easy to come to church and, then, uh, and, and think about how good that was and how much I learned and how much I appreciated the Word. And then leaving here, Lord, and in no time at all, then, then, then what we've heard and what, what really seemed to affect us doesn't seem to even... Uh, be on our mind any longer and, and, and within days father it's very likely we will completely forget what we've even spoken about this morning we indeed are forgetful people and lord pray that that just would not be what happens here that you would give us real knowledge lasting knowledge understanding knowledge that we would take and we would apply to the manner in which we live our life in this world and we would pass that knowledge on to others and not keep it to ourselves. So we pray your blessing, Lord, as we, uh, we do this very important thing this morning. Uh, and we give this time to you and pray that you would use it to the utmost of your own honor and glory. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Uh, we are continuing in our study of the book of Romans. I don't even know when we started this. It's been at least a year ago, and we obviously are taking our time going through this book. Uh, if you think back to the beginning, we talked about how Romans is such an important uh, book in the Bible that uh, there are many things uh, that, uh, that Paul teaches us that uh, are somewhat veiled maybe in other places and other places maybe not very apparent at all uh, and I don't know about you but every time I study through the book of Romans I am very much challenged by things over and over again sometimes I think I could spend the rest of my lifetime doing nothing but studying Romans it's a very enlightening book it's a very challenging book it's a very it's one of the deepest books in all of scripture uh, sometimes we want Christian light in other words, we want light things. We don't want to get into deep and heavy things that sometimes are difficult for us to understand. But they're here for a reason, and that is to challenge us. And if you study the book of Romans and it doesn't challenge you, then you're not understanding the book of Romans at all. It's one of the most challenging books uh, in all of Scripture. 
up to this point, Paul has been teaching a lot of theology. This is very much up to this point a theological treatise. He's been building an argument all along that he's kind of summarized in the last few chapters. And let me just tell you this. If you don't get anything else from what we've studied so far, you need to understand this. And that is that if you're saved, you are saved by grace and grace only. God has done it all. You contribute absolutely nothing. That whatever good works appear in your life at this point only do one thing, and that is substantiate the faith that you have in Christ. It's your response. They are your works of service to him because he indeed is your Lord and your Savior and because you love him. And just remember this always, that you only love him because he first loved you. And he did everything absolutely necessary to make you his. You have contributed Nothing. Even the faith that you have to believe in Jesus Christ is a free gift to you from God. Ephesians chapter 2. That should humble you. That should not make you feel puffed up and proud and, and come across as being one of those arrogant Christians as very often unbelievers see you as being. Christians should be the humblest of all people. And that should be demonstrated very clearly in the manner in which they live their lives. So let me just say, if you haven't gotten anything else from Romans up to this point, if you can summarize it like I just did, you're on track. Paul now turns more to the practical application. This has been theology up to this point. Now he turns to the practical application. What he's saying here is this, is because this is true, this is how you're supposed to react to it. This is the proper response for what I have taught already. Francis Schaeffer wrote a landmark book back in 1976 called, How Then Should We Live? In other words, how are we supposed to live our life as Christians in this world based upon all that we've learned, all that we've been taught, all that we know? What is our life supposed to look like? How do we practically apply what he has theologically taught us? This is where we're at. The application of everything that has gone forth before. I'm going to read the first eight verses of chapter 12. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed uh, to this world, but tr be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the, uh, what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. 
For through the grace given to me, I say to every man among you not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. For just as we have uh, many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ and, and individually members one of another. And since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let each exercise them accordingly, if prophecy according to the uh, proportion of his faith is service in his serving, or he who teaches in his teaching, or he who exhorts in his exhortation, he who gives with liberality, who leads with diligence, he who shows mercy with a cheerfulness. We're going to get more into those spiritual gifts in, uh, in just a few moments. Beginning with verse 1. By the mercies of God. Uh, this is something that Paul hasn't really focused on so much in this, this book. Uh, but... One of the things that we should see very clearly is, as Christians is God's mercy. We are recipients of God's mercy. It's not something that we've earned. Mercy cannot be something demanded. It cannot even be something, I guess you could ask for mercy. But you can't demand it because if you, if you demand mercy and it's granted because you demand it, then it's not mercy at all. Mercy is something that is freely given always by the one who grant, grants it. So God has given us mercy, not out of any obligation to us, not because he had to do it, not because it was required of him. It's because he has freely chosen to do that. And that mercy came at very great cost to him. Present your bodies as living holy sacrifices. One of the most important things that we find depicted in the Old Testament law is the sacrificial system that the Jews held so dearly to, and they continue to do today. Non-Messianic Jews, they continue to hold to those sacrifices, and even Messianic Jews continue to participate in some animal sacrifice. But we understand this, that the sacrifice that all of those other sacrifices pointed toward has been done. It is a done deal. It is over. It was a sacrifice of the perfect Lamb of God on the cross 2,000 years ago by which he atoned for every sin every believer has ever committed or ever will commit. Your sin is done with from God's perspective. The penalty in its entirety has been paid. You owe nothing. But does that mean that God doesn't require anything of us? Some people would conclude that. And I would say to you, well, there's a sense in which that's true, but there's also a sense in which it's not true. That sacrifice ought to be one of the key elements of what our life looks like. Not because we gain anything by it, but because it's a picture of the sacrifice that has been made for us already. Jesus' 
sacrifice to atone for our sins, but that does not mean that God no longer has sacrifices any part of our lives. Living a Christian, you know this, means sacrifice. Sacrifice as a service to God. One element of that would be sacrificial giving. There are times when the deacons get a little bit troubled about the amount of money that's coming into the church. And where we're at right now, you may not realize this, but we've, and we didn't, we're never able to have the state of the church address like we usually do to let you know what was going on. But we've been going in the hole about $1,000 a month for the last year and a half or two years. But I'm not worried about it one bit because we have plenty of money in the bank. <laughs> we have plenty of money in the bank. But you sit in a building... That was built because of sacrificial giving of people. We have never owed any money for anything. We paid cash for property. We paid cash for this building. We paid cash for the fellowship hall. The Covenant Children's Home is followed in our suit. They are debt-free. They owe no money at all. When this COVID thing started, there were a lot of churches that were in absolute panic. We're not going to be able to hold services, therefore giving is going to go down, and we're going to get behind in our bills. We're not going to be able to make our mortgage payment. We're not going to be able to pay our staff, etc., etc., etc. We never had to deal with all that at all. And one of the reasons is this, is our congregation here has always given sacrificially. They've given to the point it's made a different in the, in, difference in the manner in which they're able to live. We've seen it over and over and over again. And it truly has shown itself to be a very great blessing by God. And we're thankful for it. Sacrifice on our part is a means of spiritual worship or service to God. It's motivated by thankfulness. Thankfulness for what God has done for me. Thankfulness for, for what God is doing for me. Thankfulness for what Christ will do for me. It's an expression of love, but at the same time, it's an expression of thankfulness. Let me ask you something. Do you think there's a world out there that right now is desperately trying to conform us to its way of thinking? <laughs> that's what protests, that's what riots are all about. We understand this. There are people out there that would be very willing to do all your thinking for you. As a matter of fact, they don't want you to think. One of the most discouraging things I, I experienced as a college professor was the lack of knowledge of young people in this country about basic things. It amazed me semester after semester, and let me tell you, we are on a downhill spiral. 
You sit there, and let me just tell you, there really are some very blessed, very great teachers that are struggling to educate these young people. You need to understand that. But sometimes it seems as though they really are few and far between. It would blow your mind what these young people do not know. You sit around and you wonder what in the world they accomplished for, for six hours a day, 12 or 12 years. They lack common knowledge about just about everything. There are exceptions, don't get me wrong. And let me tell you, there's some really, really good teachers out there, public schools, Christian schools, etc. What I'm talking about here is just the general state of things. Our education system has digressed unbelievably in the last two generations. Why? Well, I think it's because of willful intent and purpose on the part of some people. Because there are people out there, they don't want the average person in the population to be able to think for themselves. They want to tell people what to think. Tell people how to think. God bless our Christian brothers and sisters who are towing the line in the public school system. Because they are fighting a battle. We need to be in prayer for those folks. Education is one way to prevent us from being transformed by this world. And what Paul is saying here is don't be conformed by the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is the center, the site of just about everything that goes on within us. Controls everything. The mind is very important. There's a sense in which it's the starting point of everything that goes after it. I mean, there's some basic things you have to understand to be a Christian, right? Could you do that without a mind? You have to understand that you're a sinner, fallen, fallen sinner, and that you're a sinner without hope, without ability very often even without any desire to overcome that sin and the consequences of it. As Paul was arguing back in the very beginning, you have to first of all understand and come to the understanding that there's a God who has made all that we see and we know, who in fact has made us. All of these things come to us through our mind, through knowledge. Knowledge is key to just about everything. It's very, very important. It's important for the church to educate these generations. Because if we leave it to the world, the world's not going to do it. It's going to do everything but that. 
There are a lot of people out there right now that would love to see us just go along with what everybody else wants, what everybody else believes, and what everybody else thinks. We cannot do that. We should not even want to do that. So how do you feel at this point? Well, one of the things I just want to bring out here in, in, in verse 2, uh, where it talks about being transformed. If you know anything about science, you've probably have heard of something called metamorphosis or metamorphosis. Uh, sometimes we would think about uh, caterpillars becoming butterflies and tadpoles becoming frogs and, uh, and things like that. That is the Greek word that is used here. And we would, we would classify those things. As, let me ask you something. If you saw a caterpillar and you didn't know that eventually it would become a butterfly, would you ever guess in a million years that it would become a butterfly? Or if you saw a tadpole with its fin and no legs and its gills to breathe, breathe through water instead of lungs to breathe in, would you ever think for one minute that a tadpole eventually would become a frog? And what Paul is saying here is that your conversion, when you became a, a, a Christian, it was just as radical as that. That you were one thing, you were one way, you thought one way, you understood one thing, but now you are, are, are entirely different and you are an entirely different course of understanding. This is what true saving faith is. This is what it means when you come to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. You are changed. Now, there's some similarity between you because it's not an absolute thing that takes place at the time of your conversion. We understand that we all are growing as Christians, and it takes time. But we do know this, that at the point of our conversion, there is a very distinct difference between us before and us now. What was important then is no longer important. What drove us before does not drive us any longer. What influenced us before is not important to us anymore. We are different people. We're not the same person we were before. There were a couple things going on in the church in Rome based upon what we read here written by the Apostle Paul. There were people there who thought too highly of themselves. There were also people there who thought too lowly of themselves. And if you're familiar with the church, you've been in the church very long, you've seen people fit into both of those categories. People that seem to be very aloof when it comes to themselves and think very highly of themselves and at the same time there are other people who, who look at themselves and they don't see themselves of any value at all. You know, what do I do? What can, how can I contribute? What can I do here to enhance this body? One is super proud 
The other is falsely humble. Because they're humble for the wrong reason. There's one thing and one thing alone that gives us value, and that is Christ Jesus. Period. Notice here in verse 3 says, God has allotted to each a measure of faith. Not necessarily the same amount to every person. There are people that I know that I have far greater faith than I do. I look upon them and they amaze me at what they're willing to do for the Lord Jesus Christ. God has allotted to each of us a measure of faith, and it's not the same measure. You just tell you this morning, if you have very great faith, you have very great faith for one reason, because God has given you great faith. It's not because of anything you've done. It's because what he has done for you. question is this, is are we being faithful in doing what he in fact has not only called us to do, but gifted us to do specifically? There was strife in the church in Rome. There was strife in the church in Corinth over this whole business. Because some people saw themselves as a step above everybody else. And other people saw themselves as a step below everybody else. It was causing strife and struggling in the church. Not only in Rome, but in Corinth. And also, listen to me guys, we're studying First Peter in Sunday school when I'm doing that. Also in those churches in Western Asia Minor. The same kind of struggle going on. Some people believing that they're more important than other folks because maybe they're gifted in special ways. And at the same time, there are other people in those churches that are struggling because they just don't see themselves as being of much value to anybody at all. It was causing grief and strife in the church. In verse 4, Paul begins to deal with these things called spiritual gifts that he deals with also in uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and Ephesians chapter 4, and Peter deals with it in chapter 4 of his first epistle. And the idea is this, is that each one of us is giving particular and special gifts not to be used for our own advantage, not to be used for our own benefit, but to be used for the advantage of the church, to accomplish things within the church that God hasn't gifted other people to do. 
Paul mentions a few here, prophecy, service, teach, teaching, and some others. But you need to understand that none of these lists has exactly the same elements. And if you look at Paul's in 1 Corinthians, there's going to be some things there that he mentions that he doesn't mention here in Romans. He mentions some in Romans that are not there. Peter mentions others. So, so let me tell you, we cannot look upon this as with the idea that God has given us is an exhaustive list or conclusive list of what the possible spiritual gifts are in the church. That is not what these passages are for. Their purpose is to demonstrate to us that God has gifted every one of the members in some special ways. Not that they themselves would benefit by it, but that the rest of the body would benefit by those spiritual gifts. Just as very often, some people think they're more lofty than other people. There were people who believed that the spiritual gifts that they were given by God were more important than those that were given to other people. Very often, that's why they thought they were more important, because they filled a more important, more central kind of position than some other people did. Every spiritual gift is given for a purpose, and that purpose is to benefit the body of Christ. You want to see the most blessed, best-functioning church on the planet, then you find me the church where every person there is encouraged and actively expressing their spiritual gifts to the utmost that God has given to them. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people today who believe that the pastor is the most important person in a church. There may be some people in this room who think I'm the most important person that's here this morning. Don't believe that lie. It's from the pit of hell. It smells like smoke. Everyone in this room is equally important. There are no superiors. There's no one that's more valuable than anyone else. You understand that the church is the only place in the world where people really, really, really are equal? All of you are gifted in some way. Let me, just, let me just give you some advice. If you've been through pastor's class, you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to give it to you again. Very often, people believe that their spiritual gifts are the things they like to do. And that's the primary thing that determines for them what their spiritual gifts are. I like to do this, therefore God gifted me to do it. Now let, let me tell you, I can give you some examples of times when people have had that approach to things and we've given them opportunity to, 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 to whatever, because they were, you know, just a good example, there have been a couple of guys over the years that were just determined that God had given them the gift of leadership. They needed to be in a leadership position. 
We gave one of them an opportunity one time, and the first thing he did was to take a group of 40 people and dwindle it down to 10 in the blink of an eye. And the explanation we got for it was this, is I'm leading, the problem is not with me, the problem is with them, I'm leading, they're not following. Well, let me just tell you, I really do think that church leadership is something that's grossly misunderstood in the church. I've known some elders, I've known some teaching elders that, that wonder if they really ought to be in the positions that they're in because they, they use their position to, to their own advantage in some ways, and that's worth thing. The truth is this, is this applies to every church person, every single member of the church. God has gifted you, and the question is, are you using those gifts? There is no place in the church for anyone who does nothing but warm the seat of the pew on Sunday morning. If that's your approach to church, then you don't understand what church is. Some people think their whole act of service for God during the whole week is to show up for worship service on Sunday, and that's it. That's not it at all. The truth is, if God has gifted you to do particular things and you're in this body and you're not doing them, one or two things is happening. Either what he's called you to do is not being done at all or someone else is doing it and they're not able to do it like you can because God hasn't gifted them to do it. And this is why this stuff is here, to encourage us to understand this. You are an important, integral part of the church of Jesus Christ, and it malfunctions when you do. When you malfunction, it malfunctions. Like I said before, if you, want to see the, if you were to find a perfect church in the world, let me tell you, you're just not going to. It would be the church in which every member was fully expressing and utilizing the gifts that God has given them to the utmost for the good of the body of which they are a part. Now, most of you know I'm not a real big fan of the charismatic movement. But there are some good things you can say about the charismatic movement. Because it really has brought the focus again for the church to this particular thing, this idea of spiritual gifting. The other thing is this. I think it has really helped to bring spiritual-driven or spirit-driven worship back into churches that very often are almost dead. Sometimes people singing hymns, and we all love the old hymns, but let me tell you, some of them you've sung so many times, you just never stop to even think what they say. You remember the words, but that's about it. The charismatic movement has done that, but let me tell you, the, the charismatic movement has done a lot of damage. Why? Because the charismatic movement emphasizes certain spiritual gifts as being more important than others. 
You want to show your charismatic brothers and sisters where they're wrong? Because they elevate prophecy. They elevate things like that. They shouldn't be. It's contrary to Scripture. It's contrary to the will of God. Please don't think that you're unimportant. There's no one in this room more important than anybody else. No one. There's no one in this room who is truly a believer, who's not a believer because Jesus Christ lived for you and died for you and has saved you. That is where our importance lies. And that's the only place our importance lies. I'm not any more important than anybody else. And please, please, please do not put me on that pedestal. I don't want to be there. And you have no right to put me there. How many ministers in your lifetime do you know of that have fallen? How many times have you heard stories about pastors thinking, how in the world could that pastor have this ongoing affair with a woman for three years and even his wife didn't even know about it? Or how could a man beat his wife on a regular basis for 50 years and, and no one know it? I know pastors that fall in those categories. And part of it is not even their fault. It's the fault of people who've made them superhuman. They begin to believe that they're invincible. They believe that they're more important than other people. They believe they're a step above everybody else. And then we're shocked when they fall in sin. Let me tell you, it happens on a very regular basis, a lot more than you would expect. And then we are like all in shock. I'll tell you, one of the hardest things I ever did in my life, one of my very best friends, one of my closest confidants, was disciplined and defrocked by our presbytery because I reported him. Because of unconfessed sin that went on for year after year after year and no one knew anything about it. Don't get me wrong. It's important for us to encourage people. And pastors, but don't think more highly of pastors than you do other people. We're sinners just like everybody else. So what are we going to do? With all of this, 
Is business as usual going to continue? Are we going to get more serious about this sort of thing? God has placed you here. He's done it for a specific reason. That you would contribute your spiritual gifts to the church. That applies to all of us. Every one of us. And let me tell you, you are the worst person to assess your own spiritual gifts. In other words, don't tell yourself that I'm gifted in this particular way or that particular way because chances are you're dead wrong. What you need to listen to is what other people say about you. Because reality is this, is all of us have given the choice. We're going to gravitate to the things that we think we like. Just because you like it doesn't necessarily mean you're good at it. And just because you like it doesn't mean you're necessarily gifted in it. Listen to what everyone says about you. Because they will see it in you. Even when you don't. You want to see the perfect church? Use those gifts to the utmost. It's been, I guess, three months since we've celebrated the Lord's Supper. Uh, For years and years, we made it a tradition to have the Lord's Supper on Monday, Thursday, and this year we opted not to do that because of the circumstances we found ourselves in. We did, there's no real way of doing of serving the Lord's Supper without being in the presence of everyone that's being served and receiving it. So we've put it off now. Uh, we still have brothers and sisters in Ra here this morning, so hopefully our minds and our prayers will be with them because I know that for many of them that they would love to be here to do this, but we can't just continue to withhold uh, the Lord's Supper from uh, the people of God. This is something very important, something that we do every uh, second Sunday of every month, and then sometimes on special occasions. But we are going to celebrate the Lord's Supper this morning. Uh, So our praise team is going to come and lead us in a song of preparation.